Coming up on a jam-packed episode of OGP, we're going to talk about, obviously, following the money, as Andy Makowitz says. Where do some of the guaranteed dollars lead us to believe there could be some turnover on the New York football giants? On top of which, while Kayvon Thibodeau may be an elite talent out of the gate, why does scheme and coaching matter when it comes to maximizing high-level talent for the New York football giants to say nothing of some passing shots from former members of Big Blue. We break it all down right after the theme music. Yes, it is OGP, the one giant podcast on a Thursday where you know it, my friends. We are your hosts over here, Adam Armbrecht, breaking down the Brooklyn Nets for the Locked On Nets podcast with my boy Doug Norrie over there. You're going to find the season generational ticket holder, the healthy, wealthy, and wise Mr. Andrew Makowitz. How are we, sir? I'm good. I feel refreshed after the holiday weekend. I know we're getting towards the end of the week now. What that means is OTAs come back alive. And Adam, it feels like over the last, I don't know, 24, 48 hours. Feels like we've gotten a lot of different news and notes and snippets from a lot of the beat writers and OTAs. So we had to jump in and give the people what they want. The only thing that everyone likes more than a good holiday weekend is a little bit of a media scrum, right? Got to get in there, got to stir it up, got to get some storylines, maybe uh, ones that look forward, as we'll talk about here with Kayvon Thibodeau, uh, with some players like Wondell Robinson. Andy has a, an interesting take uh, already on the young player for Big Blue, but then also some, uh, some memories from the past. And that's where we jump in here first and foremost. Logan Ryan recently came out discussing his exit from the New York football giants and whether or not he felt it was handled the best, what he thought his role and a player, obviously like former New York giant, James Bradbury, now with the Philadelphia Eagles could have provided for this young secondary um, run through the beats on this because I was not, not taken aback because there's nothing so aggressive about it, but I was a little bit surprised because this seems to be uh, in contrast to the, the description of who Logan Ryan was as a player and as an individual for the New York giants. Yeah, so Logan Ryan went on Jim Rome's show uh, on Wednesday. By the way, Adam, who knew Jim Rome was was still doing national syndication? Apparently, he's like, yeah, he's he's out there doing it. I think he's like the richest syndicated sports talk person on the planet. I haven't heard of him in a decade, which I thought was the right amount of uh, hair product there as well. I think ah, probably keeps keeps that hair looking good. Um, But Logan Ryan essentially goes on on Wednesday and, and says that the release caught him off guard from the Giants. And his quote, basically, and I'll summarize a little bit of it, but the first part of it was, I definitely took it personal. I definitely have a, a little bit of a chip because I felt like I gave it all I had in New York. But I think under new management, a new GM, the first time that he was part of a coaching fire, they wanted to go in a different direction. Uh, are, are you surprised by hearing Logan Ryan say that? Well, I mean, I, I get the idea of saying I took it personal because it is personal, right? I'm a good player. I think I can be a part of a team and being told essentially your talent doesn't matter. When it comes to Logan Ryan in a lot of ways, that's really maybe different from James Bradbury who had the big dollar amount attached to him as well. So we know there were some maybe larger factors at play, though Logan Ryan wasn't insignificant in terms of a cap hit. But if you're Logan Ryan and you're on a team where on the previous regime, you were considered to be a leader, right? You were one of the the vocal members of the secondary. And now all of a sudden you're being told, Hey, we don't look at you as being valuable enough in that role, in a new scheme, in a new system. And, and let alone the money piece of it goes, you know, goes hand in hand and we're going to part ways. I just, 
because Logan, I, I find it hard that like it's a business. Everyone knows it's a business. So I get it being difficult. I didn't think that either he or James Bradbury would have anything terribly negative to say, understanding the Giants have been a bad team for the last handful of seasons. It's a new GM. It's a new coaching staff. You almost have to expect that things like this are going to come. You and I disagree a little bit, Adam, because when we talk about following the money, this this move was not financially driven at all. Because when you look at what what the Giants were invested in into uh, you know Logan Ryan for the upcoming season, they saved a little more than seven hundred and seventy five k with his release. And yeah, they more specifically to Bradbury than to this, yeah. Right. Brad, Bradbury was a tough one where the money w- w- really didn't, ma- you know, w- was tough. They needed to get some of those cost savings. The Giants only saved seven, just a little over 750K by releasing Logan Ryan. And they end up incurring an $11.45 million cap hit. So, like, if you're Logan Ryan, I could understand why you would take it personally because it's like, wait, you're saving pennies and you're willing to eat over $10 million of cap space just to jettison me from the team. And so what, when I initially saw Logan Ryan get released back in March, my initial thought was Logan Ryan was a Joe judge guy. He went to management was like, you guys are turning over a new leaf. I want out. Let me go. Let me go do things. Him saying that he took it personal. It was a surprise. He has a chip on his shoulder means that, that it was a business decision probably from Wink Martindale that said, I don't even want this guy on my roster, even if it only saves us 750K for you to go do whatever with and replenish that position for me, Joe Shane. Yeah, but I think, but that, like, I, I get Logan Ryan taking it personally, but I like I get why the Giants would do it. He was a vocal leader. So do you want him to be the leader? And again, at, you know, at X dollar amount underneath the cap, is Logan Ryan and his skill set valuable to what Wink Martindale wants to do? Or, is Wink Martindale going to look at it and go, well, what I probably see it as is this is a guy who could be worth $5 million, right? He's a $5 million player in my system. So I understand we're going to eat the money, but I'd rather bring in a guy for cheaper that I think can play to a 5 or $6 million level on a rookie contract or whatever the case may be, or a veteran from Baltimore. I can get the value. It can all come out in the wash, and I get the guys that I want executing my system, not someone that maybe is going to butt heads with me and start to create issues within the locker room as far as what we want to accomplish and how we want to accomplish it. Yeah, and, and you actually see that play out, Adam, because we, he saves three-quarters of, of a million dollars against the cap, and they basically use that to go after and pick up someone like Dane Belton in the, in the third round. And so what right. Wink Martindale is saying is, I'd rather have Dane Belton than Logan Ryan if all the dollars and cents are equal, which they are when you think about the like-for-like transition, which is just surprising knowing that Logan Ryan's been around for a while. But also, to that point, it brings in some of these potentially undrafted guys, Adam, in terms of someone like Yusuf Corker and saying, maybe he's the type of guy I want to have in here instead of Logan Ryan, because there is that importance of a roster spot when you're talking about being thin at the position and wanting to have versatility in the secondary. Oh, of course. So when we talk about following the money, as we said at the top of the show there, the money for some of these young players, you have the numbers there in front of you. Four out of the top five, I think it is, players that have guaranteed money on their contracts or on the defensive side of the ball. And for those four players are, I think, everywhere from 80 up to a little bit north of $100,000 in guaranteed money, which isn't insignificant. But hit those four names because I'm curious to get your take on what you think this is indicative of, if anything. 
Yeah, so I'll, I'll go through the, uh, say, five or six names at the top. Um, so what was surprising to me, the first and foremost, was the the person that got the most guaranteed money was defensive lineman Chris Hinton out of the University of Michigan at $115,000 guaranteed. You know, tied for the same amount was cornerback Zion Gilbert at 115. Then it goes to a guy that we both love in Jay Sean Corbin, the running back out of Florida State at $110,000. Then you get into a guy that most people thought was going to be drafted. That would be safety Yusuf Corker. He was at $95,000, so a pretty significant number. And then the biggest surprise was cornerback Darren Evans, $80,000 out of LSU. Um, and then you get in, into a little bit of a drop off with Austin Allen, the tight end at 55K, and Jeremiah Hall, tight end fullback at about 30K. So hearing those numbers, is there is there something that you immediately, immediately comes to your mind, Adam? Well, I mean, Hinton is obviously one that jumps out just because I don't think that he was even looked at you know, initially um, as a key, you know, very, very impressive undrafted free agency grab for the New York football giants. But the big thing that to, to me, I'll just go with my overarching theme here. So many of these guys are young and on the defensive side of the ball. And it means that you won. You do like the talent. And this this is covering all the way from the practice squad in through the 53-man roster. So this isn't some blanket statement around expect to see these guys in the starting rotation come week one. But I think what it tells you is whatever, whatever the opinion that we have or fans have around players, especially in the secondary, I think that the Giants both like these young talents and – they potentially think that there is over the next season, the next two seasons going to be turnover, right? There's going to be a lot of names that we may be talking about now and could be contributing this year as backups that aren't going to be here this season or aren't going to be here the following season. And you're trying to set yourself up for success and believing that maybe you found some of those pieces that can be ready to step in and take over for those roles. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And the first thing we talk about Chris Hinton being the one that was guaranteed basically the most money at $115,000. Listen, he was defensive lineman at the university of Michigan. You know, the COVID season shortened things for him. He's six, four, 310 pounds. He was a five-star recruit coming out of Georgia. Everybody wanted this guy, and he went to go play for Jim Harbaugh at Michigan. I think the Giants looked at it and said, man, he's got all the tools. He's got all the athleticism and all the size. They haven't been able to uncover it. His college seasons were kind of cut short because of the pandemic and what was going on with Michigan at the time. And they're saying, if we can maybe you know scratch the surface a little bit on what he's capable of, then the sky is the limit in terms of what his contribution can be. And the second piece of it is, you know, the Giants have let um, Dalvin Tomlinson go. You know that they've changed over some of their defensive linemen. Um, they, you know, they they brought in Jabari Ellis. They brought in Justin Ellis. They brought in Jihad uh, Ward. They have they brought in a couple different guys. Jay Davidson is the other youngster. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. But I think that there's nothing really set in stone behind Leonard Williams and um, Dexter Lawrence in terms of who can be on that defensive front with them. Yeah. Christian feels like a guy that they said. He has the athleticism. He has the tools. In 12 months from now, if you decide you don't want to continue with Dexter Lawrence or some of these guys that are on one-year rentals, maybe Chris Hinton is a guy that you can have as that uncovered gem that steps in and can start next season after some of them kind of go away in free agency. Yeah, and I think this is always the delicate balance that you're trying to work here. And I'm going to look at this as being something that I want to talk about before we get into Kayvon Thibodeau. And, and that is what we're referring to as a hard line to toe here, because in this sense, you're talking about how are we thinking about where we could be a year from now or two years from now? 
And the difficulty there is from at least from a fan perspective is you're saying, Oh, well, we're not gonna be good this year. Like we can't, we can't be talented this year. But I think if you came into this pre-draft and pre-offseason and said, this is finally an opportunity for the Giants to rebuild, right? Joe Shane is in here, going to get this thing going in the right direction. Now we, I mean, our, ourselves included, get excited about draft picks, get excited about what the offense could look like. The Looking at Mike Kafka, Dable, looking at Wink Martindale, right? So you get hyped up on this and not to set a bar of expectations, but you also need to go, okay, let's just see what happens here now, right? We've done OTAs. That's where we're at. We're in OTAs. So all of a sudden moving this needle to say everything is locked and set is a little bit trickier. And the reason why I say hard line to toe, there was another article that came out uh, in regards to Leonard Williams and saying, when you look at his cap number right now, when you go into next season, they can get out from underneath a significant portion of his money without any issue coming back their way in terms of dead money. So they need him to be successful in the short term this year, understanding that he's going to help a guy we'll get to in a second in Thibodeau. He's going to help Dexter Lawrence. He's going to help this secondary. But if he is successful, and based on how successful the team is and these young players that maybe the Giants, you know, want to see how they look and could possibly be contributors. Do you think that it's a delicate balance for Joe Shane to be looking at this roster and saying, hey, Leonard Williams is having a good first six, seven weeks, getting some phone calls here. You know, championship level teams would love to plug him in for the back half of their season and have a title run. Do we risk taking away whatever we're accomplishing or building towards? by jettisoning someone and getting more assets and more capital for what is the overall goal, rebuilding this roster in, in the vision of the GM and the new head coach. You know, Adam, you, t- you talked about Leonard Williams. He is a good prime example because the more that he shows up, you, you got to make a decision. Do you want to get assets and get younger? Do you want to potentially, you know, have him as a cornerstone because he's still young enough to be able to contribute. You mentioned someone, you know, even like Kenny Galladay, it depends on what his production looks like as he gets over 30 years old. Is he going to be in the mix knowing that you've just spent two high draft picks in the last two years on wide receivers? And I'll take it a step further, Adam. There's two other guys that I know that we've talked about a a lot too, is like the success might ultimately be the reason why they can't be here. And those two guys are Darius Slayton and Saquon Barkley. Because knowing that both of them are in the last years of their deal, it's like, if Saquon performs well, are we giving him a second contract? If Darius Slayton shows that he could be a, a competent number, number, a really good number three or a competent number two, what does that leave him when he's, you know, in the last year of his deal? So it's a very, as you mentioned, the hard line to tell is like, we want these people to, to have success, but we don't want them to then walk out the door and we have to replace them in 12 months. Yeah, and then that's the what, what's so crazy about it. And just to give a little bit of clarity here, next season, if you're talking about cutting just Leonard Williams pre-June 1, I'm not saying that's what's happening, moving off the money. And we can even go ahead and contextualize it as let's say they trade him next offseason. They'll save $18 million in cap. They'll take an 8.3 dead cap hit. They have no dead cap money on the books for next se- offseason as it stands right now. But that's a significant amount of money. We know they're going to have a lot of cap room, but they can give themselves even more. And you may have to say, do we need to eat a little bit of the contract this year to maximize the return in the trade? Certainly. You mentioned Kenny Galladay. I think, you know, what if this guy is on pace to catch 65, 70 balls this year and looks healthy again? But like you said, given his age and, and just given where the wide receiver room seems to be shifting, is it worth it if you're a team that's a game below 500 or are you a game above 500, right? I think that the the value and good vibes of having this team play well and having it if it means that Daniel Jones is being productive because of Kenny Galladay, right? All these things tie into it in, in different ways and forms. Your point about, about Saquon Barkley and Darius Slayton, obviously to a lesser extent, but Darius, 
it looks, I think he's a great candidate. If he looks pretty good at the start of the year, I, I think that you look at him and say, well, what is that next contract going to look like? And you probably ask the question. I tell you what, the best case scenario, real time processing here, the best case scenario is that Kenny Galladay and Darius Slayton look really strong this year. And you can jettison Kenny Galladay and then say, Darius Slayton, you've been good. You're not going to cost us max dollars on a second contract. We actually could bring you back and bring down our overall cap hit for the wide receiver room, knowing we have two young players there in Kadarius Tony and in Wandell Robinson. That could be a pipe dream, sure, or it could go the other way. The money is locked in. Nobody wants an old wide receiver, and at least Darius Slayton provides you some value. But the, the Barkley thing is fascinating that you mentioned that. Go ahead. Adam, wait. Just, just to clarify for the listeners, you said the best-case scenario for the Giants is if all of their players play really good, right? Is that what you were saying? Like Kenny yeah. Galladay plays really well, good. Did, yeah. Darius Slayton plays really good. Like if the players play well, that's the cast best your, case scenario, right? Cast your mind, Giants fans, because this is a hard one. <laughs> you got to go back. It's like a decade. Just think back a decade ago when most of the players on the roster did what they were supposed to. Yeah, that is that's the dream-like <laughs> scenario for the New York football Giants. Um, that's a, You got me in there, one. Uh the, the Saquon Barkley point, though, is interesting because you have been so, so steadfast on Saquon Barkley and his value and wanting to keep him around. And, you know, I think you you see a world where they would bring him back on another contract potentially. But to your point, like what would be your fine line of Saquon Barkley having a really good season, but but still looking at it and saying, yeah, and we should be trading him? Because I, for me, like, I don't think there, there's never a point when you could tell me, hey, we're going to trade him. And he just ran for three, 300 yard, you know, hundred yard games. Like, I'm like, okay, great. Like, fine. I get it. Because again, I'm not ready to invest that money going into a big free agency class. Like shy of him being the best bar none, hands down running back in the league. I don't see how that could be on the table. Well, knowing that the Giants have a ton of cap space next year already, there is a world where you can pay a premium on a one-year deal for Saquon Barkley again, where you franchise tag him one more time. And even though it would be like you know, 12 or $13 million for a running back, at least you're not investing $50 million guaranteed into, into a guy that's been injured How many before. franchise tags do you want to throw around? Because you don't get more than one and well, you want to franchise daniel jones so. well there's a little bit of flexibility there in terms of like who performs well and who doesn't if the giants have both performing really well and you see that the offensive line was the challenge for daniel jones i would be and i've been more bullish on daniel jones be okay paying him mid-tier quarterback money in a longer term deal if you paid him three okay. years th three years 30 million dollars a piece I'd be okay with that and then being able to franchise tag Saquon Barkley if what you've built here is working, right? Like, then you want to keep it intact. I think that's the way that you go through it. Yeah, so there's a couple of angles here. The one piece would be to say, um, on Daniel, I, I think if they're both performing well, and, and to, your, to your point, if Daniel Jones is performing better and the offensive line is playing well in front of him, I would look at that and say, okay, so that means that, you know, the offensive line, that's benefited Daniel Jones. We can move forward with him. And it also means, and, and you know, we're not going to get to guys at some point the offseason we will, but obviously in this episode, Corbin or Matt Brito, right? How do they look behind this offensive line and in complement of Daniel Jones? Because that could be indicative of how you feel about the room overall. I think if Daniel Jones checks the box, it becomes even more likely that Saquon Barkley isn't brought back unless you think this is like, hey, we turned a corner here and we're talking about being deep playoff run over the next two or three seasons. Um, the other thing that I'll just throw out there before I want to get to uh, the, the uh, cave on Thibodeau piece here. The last thing I'll say is 
if you're the New York football giants and you decline that, that fifth year option, you can franchise tag him, but in a world where he performs well enough, there's going to be competition for him on the market then, right? Like that's, that's the one caveat you've opened up here. The NFL, we all know, right? People get hurt. Players get injured. All of a sudden there's openings you didn't anticipate. If Daniel Jones has a respectable season, his mid-level performance could end up escalating what it looks like to pay him. And that would be an interesting set of circumstances that we'll probably dive into a little bit later. Let's tie it back to the top here, Andy. We talked about comments from Logan Ryan uh, and what it meant as far as reflecting on this coaching staff and this regime. One guy that's bringing a certain new attitude to this team. There should be two guys, I guess we could say. And that would be Wink Martindale, the defensive coordinator, and then stud fifth overall selection in Kayvon Thibodeau. Why, under Wink Martindale, is it so critical that you don't worry about jettisoning a Logan Ryan, but you worry about the marriage between Kayvon Thibodeau, the player and the skill set, with Wink Martindale, the defensive coordinator, and how he approaches defense? Yeah, so I'll get into a couple different things. I think Jordan Renan put out an article that was really good, you know, talking about Wink Martindale and what he likes to do and how aggressive he likes to get and what his system you know, forces offenses to do, which is react to him. Yeah. Um, the reason why this philosophy is going to be drastically different and why I'm excited about it is I couldn't tell you how many times I just watched at the end of the first half teams march down the field and the Giants be like, hey, let's bend, don't break. Let's try not to give up a touchdown. And we're just giving up free points under Patrick Graham's system because we're dropping back and hoping that they don't you know, have the big play. And the stats bear that out. The Giants were outscored. 79 nothing in the last two minutes of the first half. Think about that, Adam. That's more than that's more than a field goal a game in the last two minutes of the first half. You're just giving away points. And it's a scoring possession, right? You're giving up a scoring possession at the end. You know, anytime two minute drill, they're scoring. Yes. And guess what? A lot of those times the, the other team was getting the ball back at, at the beginning of the second half. And so they're scoring before the end, getting the ball back and then having an opportunity to go down and make it a, a two possession game, no matter what you're doing outside of that. And that's the aggression piece that, you know, Patrick Graham's defensive philosophy was different than Wink's. Wink wants to force pressure and force the issue. And because he wants to do that, he needs players that fit that system. And that's why Joe Shane goes out and says, I will get you Kayvon Thibodeau. And you've heard from Bobby Johnson. You've heard from other coaches that say, like, if you could build a player for Wink Martindale system in a lab, it would be Kayvon Thibodeau because he's got explosiveness to get to the quarterback. He can bull rush and, and make some defensive stops. He can get running backs out on the edge and he, he can utilize him in so many different ways that really make the idea of Kayvon Thibodeau potentially elite in D Wink Martindale's system, as opposed to just being a good player, maybe in someone else's. Oh, of course. And by the way, the key, the, the key, the key statement there is having the talent, right? And I'm not, I don't need to defend Patrick Graham, but it's you go back and like, you go back and say, well, who's the perfect player to be built for, you know, Patrick Graham system, right? Did he ever have those guys? You know, there's, there's a lot of those questions that we ask of the giants in general last couple of years, but if you're looking to turn over the defensive side of the football, to your point, bringing an aggressive minded defensive coordinator who, by the way, through all his interviews, keeps reiterating. And I think it bears repeating here as well. You can bring pressure in a lot of different ways. It's not about, I need guys that can just rush off the edge and get after the quarterback the way it's going to be a part of it, but I'm going to bring different blitz packages, different schemes, different rotations. And when you look at cave on Thibodeau, that's the versatility that he has. You can tell him, get your hand in the dirt, get around that edge, use the speed, use the power, put pressure on the quarterback. You can also tell him, 
sag back off into coverage, work into a little bit of a zone look while somebody else brings that pressure and still ask him, unlike what we said about when you look inside the 3-4 for the Giants over the last couple of seasons, they just don't have the personnel where when you want to bring that pressure, what you ask of that other player, usually looking at the side of the clubhouse. Kayvon Thibodeau can go sideline to sideline, right? He can pick up a running back out of the backfield. He can pick up a tight end in coverage if need be. So the fact that you can ask that of him just means that offenses cannot look across to the defense and say, Kayvon Thibodeau, that's the number one priority when protecting the quarterback. No, you don't know where they're going to be in the pressure from to say nothing of how this benefits the aggression and the approach of an Aziz Ojolari. So again, weapons available for Wink Martindale means that this could be a dynamic and to the word, an edginess to this defense, right? A forcefulness to this defense. We're not going to be the team that gets outscored 79-0 in the last two minutes of the first half of the season, we don't it, think. It, it also feels like Wink Martindale's system is built for younger players where, like, you know, all the younger players, you hear them talking about, like, what they think of Wink Martindale's system. They're like, oh, we want to get after the quarterback. We want to use our athleticism. We want to force the issue. Whereas, you know, Patrick's Ram system was a lot of drop back, cover two, maybe, maybe do a little bit more, like, you know, smoke and mirrors, defensive schemes. But think about this, Adam. The Giants last more year. more Logan Ryan and James Bradbury, you know, exactly. Literally, that's what came to my mind initially. It's like guys that you will are dependable, can drop back in the zone, will make a tackle when they need to, but not necessarily guys that can wreck or wreak havoc in a game. And I will say this. The reason why Kayvon Thibodeau is so important is last year, the Giants pressured opposing quarterbacks on dropbacks 24% of the time. So they weren't even pressuring the quarterback on one out of every four times the quarterback dropped back. And that just shows that the Giants weren't able to get them. They could sit back there all day and pick apart the defense and decide what they want to do. That will change under Wink Martindale. We may give up big plays. We may give up points, Adam. But we will be getting to the quarterback far more often than we did last season. Yeah, at the end of the day, even that 24% of the time doesn't mean they were getting home. It just means they were trying. <laughs> the bottom line is, I think to your point, man, underneath Wink Martindale, while you may give up points, you also are going to hopefully create turnovers, right? You're going to help change field position. It's just be a little bit more dynamic defensively and find ways to be a component of the winning effort as opposed to what felt like trying to build a dam and hope that it didn't burst leaks. That is, of course, where we'll leave you here on this edition. We have some more conversations to have about Wandale Robinson. We'll get into that tomorrow. We'll talk other takeaways, maybe a little more offensively focused. But until next time, friends, you get us on YouTube, you get us on the podcast. And as Andy Makowitz would want, need, and nay, always demand that people know. As always, let's go Big Blue. 